Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can follow us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Thank you for joining us again today. Kim and I are here to talk all things wine with you. And first, we like to start with what we Googled ourselves this week. So, Kim, what did you Google this week? So we have a few family vacations in the works to fun places. And the uh, the big one that we have in the plan in plans is a trip to Italy with our family next uh, next spring. So I was Googling food tours for families that would be appropriate for children for in Rome and for a couple of other places. So I didn't see any any wine tours that I was looking for because, you know, we will have the kids with us. But I thought I would concentrate on food tours. And you so were there we'll before. So I've been there got before. It's been a long time, but it's it's time to take the kids to Italy. It'd be great to take the kids after you and your husband were there before, right? Mm-hmm. So great, great. And what about you? Well, I saw a new wine product and it had an interesting certification on it. You know how we are with certifications and labels. It was called the Clean Label Project. So I had to research it. It's a new wine certification that's also, if you go to their site, they also certify baby foods. So their big thing is it's inspected and certified that it is low in industrial and environmental contaminants and toxins. So I don't know when you see something like that. So why is it called the clean label? Like I think of like the label on the yeah, jar. Yeah, that's why no, I kind of researched it. it. So I mean, the, the new wine line is called Life Vine and it's kind of a play on the fit vine but it's saying it's more than just good for you with higher antioxidants but we also certify that there's contaminants or pesticides in it It doesn't say anything about additives for the wine or it still has sulfites but it's contaminant and environmental friendly so just another term that's out there or certification So today, Kim and I want to talk about something that we cover many classes on and get many questions on. So we figured we'd bring another of our secrets to you about wine label truths. And and Kim and I are very much wine geeks as far as labels and getting the word out of what can help you on a label. So Kim, what do you think we should start with on wine labels? Truths and wine labels. Truths on wine labels. I think we should maybe start with what is required to be on a wine label and what is required to be the truth on a wine label. Yes, and and if it's required and the, the, the government says it should be on there, then we consider this to be a truth. And there are typically 11 things that the government says must be on the label. Label, and they must be truthful. And way back, Kim, I, I was getting into trying to find out more about labels. There was a woman who wrote a book, and her name was Ann Reynolds. And her book is called The Inside Story of a Wine Label. And this is where, if you you want to know what's going on with the label, she actually is a person that wineries go to and pay her to make sure when they send their label to be approved that everything is correct. So from that book, we have these truths that we're going to talk to you about. And four of them right away we're not even we'll 
we're not going to discuss four because they, you really see them. And that those are things like yellow disclosure number five, saccharin, which they're really, really used. They're not even allowed in wine to begin with. Yeah. So, but if they are, you have to tell mm-hmm. you. And just briefly, all labels must be approved by the government before a product is put out. So the TTB, which is the Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax, and Trade Bureau, reviews every label, approves it before you see it on the shelf. And the volume of wine labels versus beer and liquor labels is the smallest that they approve. So they don't see many compared to the other beverages. So uh, let's start, Kim, with the first truth that has to be on a label, and that is what's called the brand name. Right. So you have to have a brand name for your wine on your wine label. But that brand name doesn't necessarily have to specify where it's made, where the grapes are from. Winemakers or wine producers can get a little creative with their brand name on the label. Yeah, and it's this is the most common searched item when you're searching for a wine. So you see on a label Mark West. You you typically putting in a Google search, tell me about Mark West. I want to know. The brand name is the thing that's searched. And it, it can be a generic name. It can be generic, like we talk about generic being Chablis, Burgundy, a generic term. It can be a trade name. It can be a second label name. It can be a private label name. But it could be a winery as it could well. Be a ver- it could, it be, could a, be a physical winery where they grow the grapes and make the yeah, wine as well. It, and that's their trade name or their brand could be the winery or it could be what's called a virtual winery where it's just a name there's no winery attached to it and we'll talk about that when we get into our lies that are on the on the <laughs> labels but brand name is the most searched thing and do, do you use it a lot Kim when you search a wine oh, yeah. 100%, yeah, right? 100%. you're looking at you were talking text sheets in another episode you have to put in the name yeah it's the easiest way to search for what you're looking for and on labels it's usually a little bit easier to figure out what that is because it often will be the largest font on the front of the label and keep Keep in mind a brand name, many corporations could have hundreds of different brand names under their portfolio. So you could oftentimes you'll search a brand name and you'll it'll pop up a certain company. You search another brand name, it's the same company. You'll let you you wonder how, but they have multiple brand names. And the same thing goes for different wineries. So especially we see this a little bit more with Europe than we see with with the US. But if you have a winery in, say, Chianti, the name of the wine usually is Chianti, either Chianti Classic or Chianti Reserva. It'll have the word Chianti in the name of the wine, but that producer might have 10 different wines at different quality levels and maybe some from different subregions. So that's when it gets a little bit tricky. Yeah, second second label is usually what they'll call that. If if I'm producing a wine and maybe I didn't like the quality, but I, I don't want to produce it at that brand name, I create another label and put it out. So you don't I mean, think more it's... like if you make a Rosso di Montalcino, but then you also make a Brunello. Right. I wouldn't well, really call the Rosso a second label. Well, it's a completely diff- different Yeah, wine. different certification. Yeah, I'm going to the American <laughs> route where they just put out different labels because of the different juice, not where right. it's regulated by the government. And that's why it's nice to be the both of us because I tend to handle the European ones and you're you're thinking about the California yeah, no, ones. So that's good because we get both perspectives. When we talk in this show about wine truths, a lot of it is American labels because the European has so many other... We can do a whole show on European labels as well, which when we do classes, I do American, mm-hmm. Kim does Yep, European. I do. I break out Europe because so, I have to do a whole separate one for you guys. So we'll add little European truths in there, but... <laughs> Fine. Much you want to take the emphasis. complicated than the American version and a lot stricter too. So let's talk about, Kim, the second thing that is a truth on the wine label. And it, it must tell you the class or the type of the wine. So 
to explain a little bit to our listeners, class or type, what, what would they see? So most often they will see table wine, correct? Yeah, a type of wine. As a type of wine. So it tells you what the wine is. If it has bubbles in it, then it would be a sparkling wine. And sparkling wine is its own separate category. And a lot of this has to do with taxes and how much the government is going to tax different types of wine. So class versus type. Class would be it's a sparkling, it's a citrus, it's a fruit. But many times you're going to see it by type, which is the varietal or the grape. And grape or varietal is only one of 100 types that can be on the label, mm-hmm. but it's the most common. Uh, and it's a truth. So if it says it's Cabernet, it has to be Cabernet. But we'll talk in another show about the lie of that too. So keep, I like that you mentioned it. fruit because there are fruit wines out there made from things other than grape especially here in Massachusetts, because wine grapes don't really grow particularly well here, although there are some wineries doing some some really great work in Massachusetts. But you do see a lot of what can technically be called wine made from things other than grapes. So if you see on a label that it just says wine, that is 100% grapes. If you see that it has other fruits listed, then you know that it's a fruit wine. So like there are blueberry wines and apple wines and pear wines and, and cranberry wine and, and all of these other things. That is a truth that does have to be on that label. So I'm glad that you mentioned fruit. And you mentioned briefly, Kim, the tax. One of the things that's related to tax that is a truth that's on every wine bar is the alcohol content, the percent of alcohol. So way back in 1791, the Congress put a tax in, was called the Whiskey Rebellion, to pay, put tax on it to pay for war efforts or battles, I guess you would call it. Well, the Whiskey Rebellion was in response to the the whiskey tax. People were very unhappy. I think this was in Pennsylvania. They didn't like it. No, they did not like it at all. So there was a stat between 1868 and 1913 90% of the IRS tax was from alcohol and tobacco. Wow. 90%. So, you know, that obviously led to prohibition because we were getting out of control with with the alcohol. So, But then look at all that tax revenue that went away with prohibition. Well, they're still collecting a good good amount of change (laughs) today. Not as much as they want. 90%. And that brings you to how are they doing this? So each label, you're seeing a percentage, right? And they're classified two levels. So 7% to 14% and then uh, 14 to 20%. 21%. And years ago, there was a different value of tax paid based on the level that you produce the product. And then just recently in 2017, they updated that where every alcohol wine up to 16% now pays $1.07 per gallon tax. And if it's over that, you pay $1.57. So Kim, when, when people are looking at their wine and they're seeing a higher percentage of alcohol, they're contributing more tax to the government when they buy that ball. So the wine might be a little bit more expensive because it will be taxed at a higher rate. Now, I am... I'm going to throw a wrench in here and saying that when we put alcohol content on our list of truths, I kind of want to see it on our list of lies because there is wiggle room. So when you see that number of alcohol percentage on your bottle, it might actually not be that alcohol percentage. So say you pick up a bottle of Cabernet and it says 13%. That wine might actually not be 13%. There is flexibility in the labeling so that the wine don't have to 
test every single batch, every single vintage, change their labels all the time? Would this be a correct assumption? Correct. As yeah. why? Yeah. As to why? They might so, change by the time it's bottled. It might be a little bit off of the content. Mm-hmm. Of the Evaporation. Alcohol. For any number of reasons, there might be a little shift. So your wine could be plus or minus one and a half percentage points of alcohol than it says on the label. So if you buy a wine that's 13%, it could be as high as 14 and a half percent, or it could be as low as 11 and a half percent. So that is something that, yes, we say that it's a truth, but it's not a hard truth. It's a lie on the label. Both. <laughs> it's it's both. both. We're going to stick it in both categories. About- You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find out more information about Mark on his website, franklinliquors.com, here in Franklin, Massachusetts. And you can find out more information about me at vinitaswineworks.com. So the next truth that has to be on a bottle of wine is the net contents. So how much wine you're actually getting in that bottle. And most wines are bottled in standard size bottles. Most of what you see on your regular shelf is 750 milliliters. This is one of the few places in America where we use the metric system and we don't use gallons for our wine unless you're buying a gigantic jug. So 750 milliliters is a standard size bottle of wine that's anywhere between 25 and 26 ounces. So, you know, four or five good size wine glasses out of there. And you'll sometimes see them in one 1.5 liters, which is the equivalent of two bottles. And sometimes you'll see them in smaller formats as well. What are the boxes these days? Boxes of three liter, one and a half liter. You mean the box, bag in a box? Yeah. Yeah. One and a half, threes, fours. But, but they have to tell you how much is, is in that volume. Point. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, Kim, with the, the alcohol content, the net contents in a bottle has a plus or minus 2% too. So you were saying 25 milliliters or 26 milliliters. It's interesting. We always talk about the screw cap versus the cork. But if you get a screw cap wine, you're guaranteed to be at that higher fill level because it goes right to the top. It doesn't have the cork space mm-hmm. and the air space. So we, that's kind of a trick we give people right. on that. So, you know, sometimes you'd be getting a little bit more wine in your screw cap bottle. But then also remember that over time, if you have a bottle of wine that is uh, cork finished and maybe you're saving it for a special occasion, you know, you lay it down in your cellar for a special anniversary or a birthday, some evaporation may take place. So you are going to lose a little bit just to time. Um, So I think that that is another reason why they, you know, they leave a little bit of wiggle room in here because people's bottling machines might not be perfectly calibrated. It's always interesting too that they require, you'll see a lot of glass or bottles that have the contents. It'll say the volume on it in the glass. But it's not legal to just have it in the glass. It must be on oh, the label. Oh, it's put on the label as well. So a lot mm-hmm. of imported wines from Europe, it's on the glass and it's acceptable over there, uh, but not in, a, in the United States laboring. Oh. It must be on the label. And it's annoying that it's metric because people come in and ask for volume, let's say pints or gallons or half gallons, and you have to go to this little chart. And, yeah, we don't think in know. metric, although I do just because I'm in wine. So I, I, you know, I, tend, to, I tend to think Especially recipes, metric. they'll say half ounce you know, cop, and you have to go to a chat to convert to <laughs> milliliters. You know, I have to always go to the chat. This you know. goes back to our sangria episode. Yes. <laughs> you yes. know, where my recipe, you know, the bottles of wine, it's like use two hundred two 750 milliliter bottles of wine, but then it says use, you know, a third of a cup of brandy. It's like, oh, great. I'm going to go back and forth. It always ends up being a little too less or a little too much. <laughs> so that's the 
thing with wine, right? So Kim, another truth in the, the wine labels is it must say contains sulfites. And we're back to our old buddy sulfites. Uh, this was put on in 1987. Sulfites are a chemical element that if used and detected over 10 parts per million, it must say contains sulfites on your wine label. And that is a truth that it does have sulfites and it's added sulfite. Right. Naturally occurring sulfites don't count, correct? Correct. For this. And if it's under 10 10 parts parts per per million. million. So they don't have to say anything. If you have grapes that are organically grown, organically made in the winery, and we we will talk a little bit about organic wines uh, coming up, but there is that threshold. And most countries have rules determining what the ceiling is for how much sulfites can be added. They're slightly different from place to place, but you, uh, you rarely will see that there is listed on the label how much the actual amount, sulfite yeah. is, but in, in, is in the a American label. If it, it just says, says contains, it contains, it's anything above 10 parts per million, which is if you convert that to anything we normally talk about, it's very, very small. The, mm-hmm. I think we always use the chart where a serving of French fries is like 1800 parts per million of sulfur in. Right. So compare that to normal everyday 10 parts per million is very, very low. And I think the average is, is 80 and you can't go above 300 or 150? I think 150 for dry wines. It's really low. It's more for sweet wines. But yeah, there are a lot of other sort of more processed and packaged foods out there that have way higher levels of sulfites. But strangely enough, some of those don't have to put contained sulfites on their labels. I wonder why. Yeah. Why why does wine get, (laughs) why does wine have to do it? But uh, we'll talk about more about other things you should worry about in our lies episode. So stay tuned for that. Let's move away from sulfites because we (laughs) talk about it all the time. The next uh, thing that is required and is a truth on a wine label is the health warning, Kim. And this is something in 1988, Congress said it must be on a bottle of wine if it contains more than 4% alcohol. And it must be specifically worded and spaced. And the thing I want to ask you about this, Kim, is you think people ignore this like they do like the warning on a tobacco on cigarettes? I think so. Because you know? it's it's ubiquitous. You know, it's on every single bottle of wine that you buy. It doesn't change. You, producers even have to use the exact same font and size of font for this warning on every single bottle. So I feel like it is so standardized and it is on every single wine that you buy that nobody really looks at it anymore, honestly. Yeah, and that's why I was saying the comparison to the tobacco. If you're smoking, you know it's on there. You're drinking the wine, we know it's on there, right? right? You know you know, there's alcohol in wine. You know that you shouldn't drive your car or operate heavy machinery after yeah. you have your wine. And the U.S. was the first nation to require that to be on a wine label. And now some other countries have, have gotten on the bandwagon and will put health, health warnings on theirs as well. Yeah, and I think if you export an American wine to another country, it's not required. No, I don't believe so. So that's interesting. But they I'm sure they don't change their label when they ship it overseas, right? I mean No. Yeah. But then they but if it's a foreign wine that's coming in here, it does have, have to have, to have that have. label on there. So there are all these all these rules that apply to American wines. If a wine from Europe or another country is being sold in the US, it still has to contain all of these things. So that's why you'll see that a back label is usually made specifically for the market or for the country that it's being shipped to. So the next and the final truth that we're going to talk about that is 
is on a wine label. And I always talk about this, so I'm, I've never asked Kim if she thought I talked too much about this. But the last thing that they must tell you is the name and address statement. And if you look on the back of a label, the very bottom usually, some people put on the front, some people put on the side so you can't see it. But it has to tell you where the physical location of the registered bottler is. So Kim produces a wine. She has to tell you where her location is, her office, where it is, who's the bottler that's on file with the government. So is this the physical location where the wine is being put into a bottle? That is why you should look at this, Kim, because, and that's why I tell people all the time, and our listeners should really play around with this, and we always talk about Google, but use that address and Google map it. So if you're producing a wine and you're just Kim Simone's Wine Corporation, but you have a friend in California who's actually making it and bottling it for you, the registered Kim Simone is going to come up, Norfolk, Massachusetts. It's going to say Kim Simone Winery, Norfolk, Massachusetts. You were the one on file putting the label but the so because i filed for the label you're the physical person behind the bottling of it but if you google that you come it comes up norfolk there's no vineyards there it's actually being produced and bottled in california right so it's i always had a misunderstanding of it where I always thought, okay, this is where the actual physical wine, it's always a physical winery, but it's, it's, it could be an office park. It could be a huge corporation. So um, it's more just where the wine is being registered the from. The bottler. Who's the bottler? doesn't mean you're bottling you're the bottler so that's very confusing i I almost want to like dump this in the lies too because if you look at that and you see an address you you're i mean how many people are going to take that address and go google it and go look up where the wine is from maybe some of our students because we have really awesome students who come to our wine classes but i think that this this is not useful information for the consumer i understand that it's useful information for the government because it is giving them the information as to who registered who's the owner yada 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 but that's not useful information to the consumer it's not telling the consumer anything well that's where i always get confused because i'm thinking oh this is very deceiving it's not helpful but then they have six options that can go prior to the bottling statement so you can say the minimum you can say on a label is this wine is bottled by so-and-so that is the very minimal very it has to say where but it just says it's bottled this is where it's bottled but it doesn't mean you grew it you fermented it you're even anywhere near there it's bottled this is where it's the bottler but that's the truth so it's telling you where where the wine physically entered the bottle yeah so then you can say cellared prepared or vented by and all of those mean some sort of treatment or process has taken place before it was bottled right so now it starts to get okay you're thinking it is a truth something it's telling you we're not just bottling it but before we're bottling it something is being done we're aging it we are manipulating it blending it blending Mm -hmm. is another of the six and if they says blended by with an address at least two wines have to be blended to create to create the wine. Then it can say produced or made by. Now produced or made by with an address actually has a number associated with it. 75% of the wine in that bottle is actually fermented where it says it is bottled. So that is a real truth and of real value when you're looking at your wines. If you're comparing two wines, I think. Do you you think, Kim, if you were looking at that and you see, and that's one of the things I tell people is look for produced and bottled by, you know 75 
25% was fermented. Why does that matter? Because if Kim says she's making a wine, but it's being you know picked in one location, moved and produced and fermented in another location, then moved and bottled in another location, the label is just saying bottled by somebody. You don't know the path of your fruit or your wine. And it does sort of come down to quality. You can't say with 100% certainty that a wine that just says bottled by is going to be of lower quality than one that says produced by because there are no, you know, there are very few hard hard and fast facts uh, when it comes to to wine. There are, it's, you know, it's kind of a general common sense thing that the more that a wine is produced in a smaller singular location with fewer hands on it moved around less the higher the quality of the wine yeah and people, but that's not always the case yeah well that's what i feel and you know i think a lot of people when they hear and, and research this truth on the label will actually see value to it the last statement came of the, of the six options it can say it's grown produced and bottled by obviously grown it's their fruit they grew it they fermented it they bottled it on that address that you see so the only way you can really get an understanding of the truth of this is when you drinking your next bottle of wine turn it over look at the address statement and then just put in google that address station so if it says it's mark west winery whatever the brand name put the brand name at that address and do a satellite view and see what you see it's either going to be a big corporate office a big uh, if it's a big uh, we always talk about the big guys in the in the wine business corporation you're going to see big silos it's a plant right every brand that they make is bottled at that same plant so if you start seeing the same santa rose uh, uh, California, you're like, wow, there's a million of these wineries there. No, it's it's a bottling plant. So it's useful. And at times, I, I might have, I'm thinking back now when I talked about the whole thing, I might have misspoke about the actual, you know, what it means when, when it says it's that location. Because a lot of times I m- mess up thinking it's a physical spot or, mm. or it's a registered spot. But you can see that when you, you Google map. Oh, but it's like a, like a company registering its... Paperwork. You know, there are a lot of companies that will register themselves in, I believe it's Delaware, just because of certain tax laws. And so it seems to me that this is a similar situation where there are, you know, tax implications or or whatnot to putting a certain address as opposed to where the wine is physically bottled. And there's very fine winemakers who don't have a physical location that they just have areas all around where they're making it, they're going, they're making it. But when you use their statement, it doesn't show one. One spot, you know, it's right. it, it doesn't show physically their w- vineyards that they're using. And a lot of times, Kim, how I use this is if someone brings me a wine, they say, "Oh, this is small family estate; it's their own vineyard." And then I I check the Google, you know, the statement of the bottling statement, and the guy's making it some plant somewhere. So <laughs> I don't care it's a state fruit if you have trucking it a thousand miles, fermented it somewhere, and then bring it and bottling it somewhere. It's totally different to me. So as you can tell, I'm geeky and passionate, passionate about the statement this. and it ch- to me it changes all the time how you can interpret it but it is a requirement it is a truth to tell you who is behind it where the bottler is and the only way you can really experience this truth is to google that address statement so next time you're drinking your wine like kim and i we look at the labels and these statements i think i look at more than kim she's not googling the address she's enjoying her wine <laughs> right. i mean i need to google my address the address is a little bit more and a lot of the, the truths have a lot of like kim was saying earlier have a lot of lies and we're going to cover that in our next episode so stay tuned for that
Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We love exploring all things wine with you. We get very geeky, but we hope to uh, give you a lot of information that you can use. Uh, Kim and I can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud if you want past episodes. And please send us any feedback and follow us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Cheers. Cheers.